The content here is for informational purposes only and should not be taken as medical advice. Please consult a healthcare professional with any medical questions and concerns. If you are experiencing an emergency or need immediate help, call 911. In no way does listening, reading, emailing, or interacting on social media with our content establish a therapeutic relationship. I just get so angry. It's hard to sit still. I don't want to be this way. My brain just feels all scrambled. Hello and welcome to Scrambled. I'm your co-host, Chad Douglas. And I'm Nikki Shields. This is episode 45, Parenting and Mental Health. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Chad. How's it going? <laughs> you got a second? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's funny because we we do have a, a plan in place when we you know format the kind of the structure of the episodes that are going to go together. But the day that we recorded this, Nikki and I were texting early in the morning about the struggles of parenting and with some mental health needs. And yet here we are recording this episode on that very day. So um, Mm -hmm. just kind of interesting. And I think overall, as we get into the episode, we we just talk about how hard parenting is. I mean, there is no such thing as a perfect parent, correct? Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what they're doing. Super correct. Yes. Yeah. They hand you this little bitty thing and no manual and they're like, good luck. I'm like, (laughs) all righty. And and you don't you don't really get a return on your investment for a really long time. That sounds bad because there's lots of <laughs> things in parenting that are rewarding and, yes. and many moments that are great, but you don't know if you're doing it right for a long time. And you you don't you don't get to go, oh gosh, like, you know, this approach I took or these things I did really worked out and it taught them the lessons I wanted them to learn and they're the kind of human I intended for them to be. You don't get that for like decades. So it it can be tiring and you can spend a lot of time questioning yourself, questioning yeah. how you respond to things, questioning how you and your co-parent are, are handling things. Um, and I guess I just I want people to know like we're all in that boat. We all worry. And probably the more concerned you are, the better your parenting, because it means you're thinking about it and you're reflecting and you're trying to grow and improve. And I think that's important. I also think it's interesting because, and I think I've said this before on an an episode when our son was born, you know, here's this newborn and my wife and I are doing our best. And if we had a question, we'd call one of our moms and they'd be like, oh, you need to do da, 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 da. I, my kids, if you're listening to this, don't do that to me because I don't remember (laughs) what to do when they had this or the rash was there, but you're getting generational advice, I guess. And, and things have changed a lot over time. They have. And, and I think that, you know, I think that change sort of parallels some of the evolution in mental health and how we, how we look at mental health. And so I, I think this episode is, has the potential to be kind of cool because we can talk about how those evolutions have taken place alongside each other. And, you know, like you said, you you're getting advice from the grandparents, you know, how they handled it may not be how we handle it. They probably have some really good ideas though. Mm-hmm. So I'm not saying don't listen, but there are a lot of differences in what kids are facing and the challenges that parents face today. And some, some of that, you know, like older advice is awesome and solid and right where you need to be. And some of it might miss the mark. And so it's, it's just important to kind of be checking in. I think some of the most sage advice my wife has given me, um, it was one of those kind of stop me in my tracks kind of thing. I went, huh, you're right. Was something to the effect of don't parent the child you want, parent the child you have. And that really rang true in my head. And it kind of sounds bad as I say it out loud, but it's like, you know, you have this idea of, of when you have a baby of like, oh, we're going to do this and that and this, and then they've got their own thing that Mm -hmm. detours this. Um, one time we were going uh, to St. Louis for a little trip. My son was, you know, toddler, a little younger, maybe around 
between 12 and 14 months old, threw up right before we left. And we're like, ah, it's probably nothing. And so we get going and we're about 20 minutes out of town and he threw up more. And I will not eat peaches because of this. (laughs) But it's just like, you know, we had this great plan. We were going to do something fun, go to the zoo. But the plans were deterred. So, and I don't really know where I was going other than I just wanted to tell a, a story about throwing up, I guess, to you. I think you just wanted to do some exposure therapy and, and help me to deal with my longstanding <laughs> phobia uh, with, with vomiting. But but yeah, I mean, <laughs> thanks. Thanks, Jed. I appreciate it. Um, I feel better immediately. So, <laughs> but but all joking aside, I mean, I, I think your point is that like there is unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen and you, yeah. you have to kind of react and pivot and change plans and try different things. And, and all the time I get handed the... Oh gosh, here I go trying to use a saying. I know this isn't a saying, so I'm making oh, this one up on the Buckle spot. Buckle up, okay? everybody! Buckle up. Yeah, this could be a fun ride. I, I, I get handed a reality sandwich a lot, which okay. is oh that didn't work. That I missed the mark there. That is not what was intended. And and so I believe my role as a parent to go okay, well, what's the next right thing? Like what's what's the next thing that I can do to kind of make this go better? And and it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to miss it. And and that's where it is good to speak to grandparents, to people who have done this before, people, you know, veteran parents. That's a really good idea mm-hmm. um, because they have been through it and they can help normalize some of the struggle, but they might have some really good advice too. But I also think it's good to talk to peers around your own age who might have mm-hmm. kids that are older than you. Just today, mm-hmm. I was talking to a coworker um, who's child is a little younger than and mine. And we were talking about whether we believe in mythical creatures. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> and so mine no longer does and hers does. And so I was like, here's what we did that worked for us, but I've heard this and I've heard this. And it was just kind of a nice mm-hmm. conversation of like, mm-hmm. this is what I went through. Might not be the best thing that happened mm-hmm. or, and she was even like, oh, that's a good idea of, mm-hmm. of what we did and everything. So getting the, the peer advice, I think is, is very beneficial. Because it helps you keep up with like common, you know, current struggles and things that, that kids are facing that you're facing that, you know, I know, you know, internet struggles and phone struggles. Those are things that, that my parents and grandparents probably don't have, you know, the same frame of reference. And so it's nice to be able to talk to parents who absolutely are dealing with that in real time. And so that's good. You know, in, in terms of, you know, I, I think our our mission for this episode was, you know, parenting has changed and so mm-hmm. has mental health and how are those things related, not related and that kind of thing. And and so I was thinking a little bit about it, something I see in, in therapy a lot. So folks will come in and we'll be kind of talking about uh, what's going on, the, the presenting problem, whatever it is that made them seek help. And I, I hear a lot like, well, we're old school parents or I, I'm doing this, this way, but my parents are more old school. And so they think I should be doing it this way. And so it's, you know, it really got me thinking, what does, what does old school mean? And so of course, you know, I'm asking, break that down. What is it, what does it mean to be an old school parent or to have other people give you old school advice? And so my understanding just on many, many conversations with folks about this is that, you know, that old school umbrella is kind of, you know, a little bit more discipline based, a little bit more harsh, a little bit more, well, what they need is a consequence, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas some of the the newer approaches, and I'm using quotes because I don't know that this is new for everyone, but but this is kind of how people are breaking it down, is, is more emotionally focused, more individually focused on the child, more looking at self-esteem and and getting them involved in the conversation and, and having it be more of a collaborative approach to, you know, disciplinary issues or behavioral issues. And, and so that's kind of the, the 
the gap I've seen in working with people is either we're old school and we're very discipline focused or we're new age and we're focusing on emotions and we're collaborating with our kids. And, and so I think there's a spectrum in there and I think there's lots of different ways to be as a parent, but I'm curious if like, you know, do you have that view of like old school versus newer approaches? What do you think? Absolutely. And we've talked about this in a previous episode because I said, I think we parent the way we were parented. And you're like, "Mm, sometimes people parent the opposite way because they didn't like their childhood and the way they were Mm -hmm. parented. So I had great parents. I had a great childhood. But when I became a dad, I thought that's that's how you parent, right? Mm -hmm. But when we started to see signs of anxiety in my son, it completely changed the way I parented because of what you just said. And it was more of a, a communicative type of parenting and like justifying that they're feeling anxious or scared or sad and then just having a nice talk. You don't always have a consequence. In fact, we rarely have consequences and I know we're judged for it by other people and that's fine because you don't live in my house and pay my bills, (laughs) but (laughs) it works for us. And so we are much more of a, a communication type thing. Yes, we do have discipline. There are consequences and we lose our temper a lot, but by and large, it's more, let's talk about how you're feeling and let's figure out, okay, mm-hmm. you you made this choice. How could we have done it better? So when it mm-hmm. presents itself next time, hopefully you remember that. And I've said before, he has made me a better human being because I am, um, I guess, less judgmental toward people mm-hmm. and more willing to talk about things. I still have room to grow there uh, just mm-hmm. personally, but that's kind of the way we are. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And I I think, I think that's a good summary. And I I think for many people, you know, we're, we might grow up and think, oh, I didn't like how that went. So I'm going to do it differently. But then other times, like our parents will open our mouths and our parents will come out and we didn't necessarily intend for that to happen. And we're like, oh boy, where did the, you know, but I think that's, that's probably pretty natural and happens to all of us. But I, I think the key is like, what, what didn't go well? It is okay to try something different. It is okay to try to correct on that. But some of that stuff you're going to do instinctively because so much of what we, we do as parents is kind of ingrained. It's it's mm-hmm. sort of, you know, your own experience translates. And so I think it is important to reflect on your experience of being parented so that when you turn around and you're parenting your own children, you kind of, you know, you have a solid foundation of where you want to go and where you don't and what, you know, what you might, you know, what areas might be more of a struggle for you. I think that's, that's important conversation for, for co-parents, especially is like, well, what was your childhood like? What was my childhood like? And, and really kind of looking at what worked, what didn't, what do you like? And, and what I know is that, you know, a lot of the things that I grew up with, I think they were solid. They worked really well for me, Mm -hmm. but I'm raising kids who aren't the same as me. Right. I'm raising kids who are more wired like their father. And so some of the, some of the, (laughs) I'm not saying it's bad, just saying it's different. Um, And I know that, that some of the things I grew up with wouldn't necessarily be a good fit for their personality types or their particular, you know, responses to things. And so we've had to find kind of a blend. Um, and so sometimes, you know, we go with like what I would call my way and, mm-hmm. and sometimes we have to stop and think, well, that's, that's probably not working. And I think for, for parent, this is not a how to parent podcast episode, but one thing to keep in mind is. Wait, what? <laughs> Why am <laughs> <We're> I not- <laughs> here? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but like, ultimately if, if it's not working, do it different. Right. Like at the end of the day, if you've tried, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again and you're beating your head against a brick wall and the, the behavior isn't changing or the issue that you're struggling with is not getting better, uh, try something else because there's a million different ways to parent your children. Sure. But it's kind of going back to, you know, I only know one way to parent. And that's the way I was parented. Um, mm-hmm. But you do get the meshing of 
the spouse or the co-parent and how they parent and how they were raised and everything. So sometimes it's like, I don't know what to do next. I tried my way. It's not working. Mm -hmm. And I still, still struggle with, I want to be respected as an adult. Mm -hmm. And if I tell my kids to do something, I want it done first or second time. I don't want to have to give a consequence because you won't get out of bed just mm-hmm. this week that happened. And so I start escalating and I tell my wife, I'm like, <laughs> I'm here and I need you to step in. And she's in there for like 10 seconds and he comes out and ready for <laughs> breakfast, you know, and just like, yeah, okay, great. I'm glad you got it to work. But then mm-hmm. I, again, struggle with letting it go. I'm really mm-hmm. good at not letting things go. So, yeah. Well, in our own, I do think like that's such an important point because we bring our emotional, our own emotional hangups into our parenting experience because we're, and I know we talked about this early on, like I want to say episode two, we had a conversation about, you know, the judgment and the worry that other people are judging what we're doing. And a lot of times people don't seek mental health because they don't want judgment. But when it comes to, to parenting. Is it societal? Like, because I think everybody does feel judged, you know, when, when you go out to the Applebee's and the kids are acting up, it's like, okay, we need to, to rein it in here because people are judging how I parent. It's either, oh my gosh, they're too strict or they don't have a handle on their kids. Yeah. And, and for me, I think that's kind of what like (laughs) is the determining factor in public places is my own worry of judgment. So like if my kids are acting up and even though I might have this, like, this is how I want to do it. I want to collaborate. I want to be calm. I want to use, you know, like a soothing tone of voice instead of my harsh mom voice. If somebody's seeing it happen, I might be more instinctive and more reactive rather than doing the things that I intended to do. And so I think that worry of judgment does alter how we respond. And I mean, you're a behavior therapist. So if someone sees you and knows what you do and then your kids are out of control, <laughs> that's not exactly a billboard for business, is it? <laughs> no, no. I, I have often been like, do you guys know what to do for a living? Like, <laughs> can we just like keep it together here? You know, but but I also openly admit that, you know, I don't have it all figured out and there's lots of things like it's it's one thing to to know and empathize and, and work with a family. And I know it's a completely different thing to do. And so it, it's important to, to check in with yourself and, and keep your expectations healthy. You just said a key word that made me light up and that was empathize. Learning empathy as a parent was uh, a new skill for me because again, going back to like, I'm the parent, you got to do what I said. But when you empathize with that. And especially when you have a child with anxiety who might delay things. We did the episode a few episodes ago about anxiety loves avoidance. And it's Mm -hmm. like, it looks stubborn and it looks disrespectful because you're not doing the thing, but inside you're just nervous about said thing. And so Mm -hmm. parent gets frustrated. Kid gets frustrated because they're just scared. It's probably the wrong word to Mm -hmm. use, but they're, they're just, they're trying to avoid the thing that's making them anxious, but it looks Mm -hmm. super disrespectful. Yeah. And and I think like if you're taking and again, I don't know that old school is like a clinical term or even the appropriate term, but but that's how it's been defined to me when I'm talking with families about this. If you take an old school approach to, you know, an anxious child's like seemingly oppositional behavior, you're not going to get the response you're looking for. You know, like going at it from a disciplinary, you're in trouble. Here's a consequence that that's not going to solve it. Right. Because the, the child is reacting out of anxiety you can't solve the anxiety with punishment, right? And so right. I, I think that's, for me, the evolution of different parenting approaches and the, and just the different ways that we think about things. Um, it definitely parallels with what we know about mental health. If 
if a child's behavior is based in some kind of emotion, um, it's the, you know, discipline isn't necessarily the way to get them to learn. And, and, you know, discipline should be about education. It should be about learning and about overcoming a difficulty. It shouldn't be about you did a bad thing. And so like, here's your punishment. And that makes me think of something. And I, <laughs> I want to be very careful not to compare our children to dogs, Chad, because I don't, <laughs> I don't know how people feel about this, but we, we got this dog. Okay. And, and so there's very few things that I do impulsively, but getting pets is one of them. Um, and so, so we got this dog and we, we of course got her from someone online. And so we didn't get to meet her ahead of time. We just sort of picked her up and now she's our dog. And we learned after we got her that she is a very reactive dog and that, um, even though she's very well trained and has lots of lots of good doggy skills um, in a new or potentially threatening situation or around people she doesn't know, um, she's very very reactive. And it took me a long time to kind of understand that this reaction was coming from a place of fear. And there are you know dog trainer individuals who would come at it from a dominance, like almost kind of that old school thinking mm-hmm. of like discipline. You know, you're in charge. You show that dogs who who is boss, and that's that's the way many people believe. But there's also like a like another approach to dog training that's more based on developing a safe, trusting relationship, and you know, providing rewards and encouragement and and reinforcements for for correct behaviors and that kind of thing. And that's a, a little bit of a different response. And so, when I was researching like how to work with this really reactive dog you know, I kept finding sort of mixed messages. I would read one author that, you know, or watch one video that would talk about like, oh, you got to hold the dog down and make eye contact and do it, you know. And then I would read another was like, you know, when your dog is reacting this way, it's it's not truly aggression in the sense of wanting to harm, it's fear-based. And so you have to, mm. you have to address the underlying fear. And so taking that back to mental health and taking that back to parenting. And children. When, and children, <laughs> human children, human persons, not dogs. Um, it's not that far away though, because like if if your child is responding to something out of fear and it looks like an oppositional behavior, to me that's very parallel to a dog, you know, looking aggressive when actually they're fearful and they're like in fight or flight mode. Um, and so again, like that, that response of like, we can be old school and dominate the situation and give consequences or punishment, or we can go, Hey, actually this, this, you know, there's an emotional reason for this. And if we treat the underlying emotional difficulty, we get a better behavior. Does that all sound ridiculous? Yeah, no, no. That makes an insanely amount of sense actually. Uh, But it's like, you can also have a blend because the dogs that I've had that I've trained early on, I did the whole lay on the ground, not pin them down, but just to kind of show I'm the alpha male, so mm-hmm. to speak of the pack. I'm the, I'm the leader of the pack. I shouldn't say alpha male. That sounds like, I don't know, really weird. So I'm, I'm the pack <laughs> leader, right? Cause dogs are pack animals. But then as you potty train, it's a matter of, okay, if they, if they mess on the floor, you might somehow discipline like, no, no, this isn't right to do. But when they do it right correctly outside, mm-hmm. you reward that behavior mm-hmm. and they react much better to the treat that you're giving them for reward. Oh, I did something good. So I'm going to get this nice sodium infused treat. <laughs> <laughs> but if I do something bad, I'm going to get disciplined. So no, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And, Parenting and, and puppies. And I think that like the thinking in both fields has evolved over time and will continue to evolve. I mean, I think we're, we're figuring out that there needs to be an empathetic emotional component to, you know, raising up any small creature, right? I think, I think science is showing that that's, that's better. Um, but I think like you just said, there has to be a blend. You can't take, you know, consequences out of it. You can't, you know, kids shouldn't get a good job when they, when they do something they shouldn't do. Right. Mm -hmm. But like, we don't necessarily have to go with, you know, when you, when you make a mistake, you're bad. And I think that sometimes some of that old school stuff can generate a lot of shame 
you know, if everything the child mm-hmm. does that's incorrect is is met with anger, frustration, discipline, consequence, uh, punishment, you know, it, like they develop shame about their behavior instead of kind of the attitude of like, I can do better or here's what I need to do instead. Or when this happens, here's what I can do. And so I think, you know, a lot of mental health professionals today do a lot of coaching and encouragement of parents using more of a, Hey, okay, when you're, when you're upset, this is what happens and this is how your body feels. And so then here's something you can do to make that feel better instead of, you know, you did this. And so now, you know, you're grounded. But take that one step further, and and so if you have a a home situation where it's more empathetic, it's more communicative, like, uh, okay, our house or whatever, but then you've got other adults in this kid's life who might not react that way. You might have the coach that yells simply because it's that's just it's instinctive that you know if you're if you're not doing it right it's like, come on do faster when it's like mm-hmm. just encourage instead of yell but they're going to have that and then you have the people who say they're going to face adversity when they grow up they're going to have a boss who's not very nice they're going to have people who are difficult to work with they're going to have a coach that screams and yells mm-hmm. and throws things what do you do there yeah and I, and i think that that's that's kind of the the question of the century right now is how do we raise kids who can tolerate adversity be resilient overcome difficulties and, you know, like seek out opportunities to be respected and to give respect and be able to feel those situations. Because I, I like to think that I'm going to raise my, I, <laughs> a lot of hope here, but I'm going to raise my kids to recognize when they're in a bad employment situation or a bad relationship or when they have mm-hmm. a, a coach that's, that's you know, not making, where they can overcome that situation by either exiting it, finding another option, or, you know, being internally resilient enough to, to not let the, you know, that approach that's different than what they're used to you know, bring them down or interfere with their success or their their happiness in that situation. So I, I like to think that, you know, the key is raising kids to recognize like, hey, this isn't good for me. What do I need to be successful? And then seek that out. Not that like we raise them to escape anything that is difficult or challenging, right? We want them to be able to face challenges, but there are yeah. some challenges that we should extricate ourselves from, right? That we, we shouldn't stay in those situations because it's not going to be healthy. It's not what we're accustomed to. And I think that's okay too. If I'm an employee situation and I have a, a boss or a leader who's, you know, demeaning or, you know, harsh or <laughs> punishes me all the time, like, I'm probably going to look for another option. That's that's not going to be an ideal fit, you know? And so I, I, I think that's kind of almost the blend is like being able to take it and not letting it like turn your life upside down, but looking for other options if it's not healthy for you. Yeah, but it might be hard to leave certain things like a, a school, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and yeah, town. taking it to younger ages. Yes, I, I think it that is difficult because if you're raising your children one way and then you put them in a sporting situation or an activity where, where there's a different approach, I think there's conversations that need to be had, I think, with the child, helping them to understand that there's lots of different ways to do things. And, you know, this might be different than what you're used to, but how do we make the best of it? Or with the the coach or teacher, boss or whatever, like, hey, this is, this is not, you know, ideal. You're not going to get... Um, great effort from this kid based on Mm -hmm. this or, you know, um, having, you know, just developing that relationship between the child and the situation again, to, to find empathy to, so that we can be more on the same page rather than having that disconnect. I'm going to text you a couple numbers. Need you to make some phone calls for me. (laughs) I'll do it. Yeah. Um, But I, I like what you say there about talking and I've had that experience where, and I think I said again, a few episodes ago where you have people who get it, who understand the illness of it and you kind of glom onto them. Then you have people and a couple of people pop into my head immediately who don't understand it, but they're willing to learn. And then you have people who just aren't going to get it and they're set in their ways and they're not. And so those are the people you're like, okay, we can move away from this and find another option. Because even though if you're talking about school and everything, there's usually always something that can be done. You just have mm-hmm. to 
ask or have the conversation yeah. with the person. Be like, look, this is happening. This, this, this. Yeah, and I mean, but our kids are always going to encounter people that do it different. And I, you know, one of my kiddos has has a particular teacher that they, they she just butts heads with this teacher. They're, yeah, they're they just, you know, and they're not going to get along. You know, and and helping my child to figure out how to be successful despite that and not let it get in her way. And I think that's that's a parenting responsibility. Is how do I encourage her to overcome this adversity, knowing that like we don't have control over that other person, and that mm-hmm. other person's approach isn't ideal, but still she has a right to be successful and get through that. And so just, you know, kind of, kind of building that internal resilience for kids so that, yeah, you're gonna, you're gonna meet people who do it different. You're going to meet people who, who don't come at it from the angle that you really need, but that doesn't mean that, you know, you give up or say, I'm not doing it. Well, we've always championed too of like, you, you don't realize it now, but you're learning something from this person. Mm -hmm. Years down the road, you might be like, oh, now I see why this was this way. Or even taking it to a relationship thing, you're going to look for qualities in a mate that you like and don't like. And that's kind of the whole thing of dating. You date people and you go, okay, I really like this about this person, but yuck on this. So my next one, I'm going to seek out more of the ones that Mm -hmm. I like instead of what I don't. So you're going to learn that from anybody Mm -hmm. really in your life, in my opinion. So I want to ask because we've, we've thrown out the term old school quite a bit. I'm sure somewhere somebody has categorized parenting. Is there a set or a a website that we can Google real quick that says like you, I thought you'd never ask. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 25 minutes into the show. (laughs) There there are several different types of, parenting that have been sort of identified and talked about in the literature. And, and I, uh, you know, full disclosure, this is, this is not an exhaustive list of parenting approaches or parenting types, but these are some of the most commonly discussed. And I think most parents will be able to kind of identify with one or more of these. The first type is an authoritarian. This is a parent who kind of under that old school kind of mm-hmm. lens that, that parents have shared with me, but we focus on obedience. It's punishment over discipline. So it's, you know, the, mm. like it's, it's really more about you, you know, you did the thing wrong, you got to follow the rules and you, you didn't, but then there's authoritative, which is more about, you, you can still have like positive relationships and empathy and, and communication, but they enforce rules, right? So there's clear boundaries, clear lines, um, clear expectations, Rules are enforced. There may be consequences, but it's it's more about you know education and learning, and less about punishment for the the sake of punishment. Okay. Then we have permissive parents who tend to, you know, it's it's kind of that like kids are kids, you know, kind of let them do. I mean, it, it defines itself as permissive. They kind of do yeah. whatever they want. There's not clear expectations, not clear guidelines. Consequences are usually natural consequences that just occur in life and and less enforced by parents. And then I've seen this one called a couple different things. I've seen it called uninvolved. I've seen it called neglectful. Um, Mm. There's a few other terms out there, but essentially, you know, the parent has little engagement with the child, not much in terms of structure, guidance, nurturing, attention, just, just, you know, absent, you know, or, or present, but not doing a great deal. And so, you know, I would imagine that everyone would sort of fall somewhere in between those four. There are other terms like it talks about helicopter parenting. And mm-hmm. I, and I hear people come in and say, I'm worried that I'm a helicopter parent or so-and-so said I'm a helicopter parent because blah, blah, blah. Um, so that's, that's not one of the like official like categories, <laughs> but, but it is something that, you know, we talk about and, and people kind of recognize that. Do you, what do you think of helicopter parenting? Well, it, gosh, I don't know. Cause it kind of depends on if you have a situation, and I just spoke with a friend of mine about this, um, of like fertility struggles, and it was hard to get a family, so we're a little bit more helicopter or we like to be more involved because it took us a lot to get there, where mm-hmm. some people it didn't, so they don't feel the need to be 
always hovering. And that's, that's again, going back to judgment of like, they're going to think I'm always hovering because I'm always around, but it's just like, you know, it. <laughs> this didn't just happen easily for us. So right. we're going to, we're going to, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think too, you know, I think I, I can err on the side of helicopter parenting in some situations, but also be fairly like permissive in others. And I, and I think that's an important thing to recognize is that different aspects of your family relationships will sort of display, you know, each of these different types, but most of us have, a, you know, one that we veer towards most often because helicopter parenting, like, honestly, it's hard not to be right now. I mean, mm-hmm. when you think about some of the the things going on, mm-hmm. um, school shootings and just some mm-hmm. of the dangers that, that our children are up against, some of the things that happen online and with their cell phones and, and stuff that we didn't necessarily have to deal with in school, it's hard not to worry about every little thing, you know? And, and so I can get kind of helicoptery I know this is a silly example, but so real. Um, my teenager said that somebody threatened her yesterday that made a, and it's not, I mean, I'm not laughing at that. That's not funny at all, but they, they made a comment there, you know, some squabble, some girl boy sure. sort of thing. And um, said that she was going to, she would hit her or that she was going to come get her, or do, you know? And I was like, uh, I need names. I will right? go to her home. We will mm-hmm. address this, you know? And, and my kid is laughing at me. She's like, mom, you can't do that. You can't <laughs> try me, you know? Like, and so I think that like that overprotective, overbearing helicopter mom, that's in me. But there's other times where I'm like, yeah, go do your thing. You know, yeah. I'm going to hold you accountable, but, but you know, you, you got to live with the consequences of the decisions you make. And so I think we all kind of probably bounce around from area to area. And, I, and it's I, probably situational too. Yeah. Yeah. I think it has to be. So I like to do a history lesson. Um, when I can, (laughs) (laughs) I wish everyone could see how far back Chad's eyes just rolled. It was like all the way back in his head. (laughs) But so like I was thinking, cause I like to think about how and why things evolve over time. And yes, yes. Everybody's eyes glaze over as I say these things. I know that I'm, I'm self-aware. You've got that little like 30 second skip button on your podcast app. You (laughs) You can skip right through this if you need to, but, but I think like, parenting has changed for a reason, for lots of different reasons. I mean, if you think about the, you know, like 30s, 40s, 50s, I think there were probably more households where there was one parent in the workforce and one parent at home. There were maybe fewer single parent families. There were, you know, like that was a very different time. And so, you know, now we've got more single parent families. We've got more Mm -hmm. dual income families and more, you know, more families where both parents are in the workforce. And so we have smaller families like over time. I mean, you know, I I picture families of, you know, 10 and 12 siblings where the siblings would kind of be raising the younger kids by the time all was said and done. And, and the, and the kids were kind of part of the the workforce, you know, if they had a family farm or family business, the, the kids kind of grew up in that. Whereas today, you know, families are by nature much smaller. We tend to have a couple of kids. And and so parents are getting more one-on-one time with their kids. And so I just think that like when we look at the collaborative approach, the the communication, the empathy, taking time to really understand, helping your child p- feel validated, those are things we can do when we have two kids or three kids versus if you had seven or eight or nine, you know, that might've been a very different kind of dynamic. You just, you wouldn't have had the time and the, and the siblings might've been doing a lot of the parenting. So when I think about like where we are in terms of parenting and also kind of the parallels in, in mental health, Mm -hmm. I think that as many external things have changed, I think this is a natural result of that. And I think there's lots of good that's come from it, but there's probably some bad too. I don't know. Sure. Well, and it's, I mean, human nature is just to be adaptable, to change to ever-changing environments and stuff. So 
that makes uh, a lot of sense. Do you have any advice to give to the parents listening who try to do the the kind of empathetic parenting style and they just get a little pushback from friends or family? It's just like you need to be tougher and mm-hmm. they need to do this. What like what? Is- I think it happens all the time, and I think it depends on the relationship that they have with the folks that are giving the feedback. So if it's like your your parents and you know in laws that are saying you know you need to be tougher, what that kid needs is a you know a spanking, you know whatever those yeah. kinds of of words. If it's somebody you're you feel confident in your approach and you feel confident in your relationship with that that other person, you might say you know what these are my kids, and like you said at the beginning, like when when you pay my bills, then you can weigh in on how I parent. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm gonna go ahead and handle this. But I think there's others that just avoid the topic altogether. Like, I don't want to talk about that difference. I don't want them to know what we're doing. We'll avoid it because I know they're not going to agree with it. And I do believe that a lot of parents have a little bit of anxiety about like, well, what do my parents think? What do my grandparents think? You know, sure. because it is, it is different. We are going to do some things differently. And I think, you know, healthy dynamics are when everybody kind of knows their space and offers help when it's needed, but then like takes feedback if it's not. And, you know, th- that that's not always the case, but I, but I think you have to, you have to kind of go like, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing and feel confident communicating that to someone else and showing why it works. And, you know, there's lots of research out there that can support why you might want to do more empathetic parenting. And I've done that to some folks in my kid's life where it's just like explaining what it is and and how they think. And it's like, if you try it this way, you're going to get a better response than this. And then we go home and I'm exactly the opposite because I can talk the talk, but (laughs) I don't always walk the walk with it. (laughs) Mm-hmm. What about societal changes? You hear all the time too of kids are just different these days. Do you think that's true? I mean, yes and no. I I think some things will always be the same, right? I think toddlers are always going to be, you know, challenging in in their exploratory learning about the world sort of way. I think adolescents are always going to be seeking their, you know, trying to figure out what their identity is, trying to figure out who they are, trying to figure out how they want to be with other people and and trying to, you know, like overly focused on their social life to try to to get that part of things figured out. Um, and I think those are, there's just some standard developmental things that'll okay. pretty much always be the same or similar. Uh, but I do think that the external societal things you're talking about, you know, those have changed and they add levels of challenge. I mean, I. So societal things have changed, not kids. Yes. Yeah. That's where yeah. I was going. Yeah. was like, I think society yeah. has changed. Not I think so too. Children. Not the kids, not the kids. But I think society can also change the kids. So one of my kids, I believe, would really be like a huge reader. Uh, super skilled, great vocabulary, reads quickly, great comprehension, just sort of wired for reading, right? Mm -hmm. Doesn't read. And I think that's because this child has grown up with screens and would would much rather sort of have a a TV show, a video, a phone, a device do things for them than have to apply themselves to reading the words and making sense of it. And so I think that it, 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 on a you know individual basis, I think these societal changes that we're all seeing are impacting our individual children. They are changing what their experience is. But it, but I also think you know at the heart of it, kids are still going to be you know going through the same developmental phases. But I, I just think they're going to do it differently. I and and I think it, it's not always bad. Yeah, and I was thinking when I was a kid growing up, like I would go around the neighborhood on my bike and would be gone for hours at a time. And now you've got apps that can track your kids no matter where they are. And mm-hmm. I don't know that I feel completely safe with my kids going for hours at a time mm-hmm. without checking in. And again, that's I, I think that's more societal changes than kids have changed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I it just it just is it's very different. 
we, we've had a, uh, <laughs> a person text in with a question. That's just my way to say, and instead of me going, asking for a friend, <laughs> this texter wants to know, <laughs> if you go back to the four types of parenting, and I don't know which ones, because you and your co-parent are not going to be the same type, more than likely, I would say you're not going to always be the same. So are there two that mix better together, or are there two that are just opposites? And what do you do when you have somebody, let's say, who's authoritative and, and wants that discipline and everything, then you've got the permissive one who's just like, just let them be kids. That's got to be a tough yeah, parenting yeah. thing. Well, and now I, this has inspired a whole new level of interest. I want to do research studies. I'm sure it's been done. I'm sure that it's out there. Google it. But um, I would like to know more about you know what happens when you put a permissive parent and uh, an authoritarian parent together. What happens to the kids? How do the parents work that? Are there higher chances of divorce or child oh. abuse or emotional difficulties if you have these conflicting parental types? I mean, at the heart of it, we should be communicating about these differences and identifying ways to, to, you know, find the middle ground. You know, a lot of times when, when people meet and join together and decide to have a family together, it's because they have lots of values in common, right? And they yeah, want, yeah, yeah. you know, they have similar ideals about how sometimes. things should be. Sometimes, but sometimes they don't. And I would be mm -hmm. very curious to know more about what happens when we, when we sort of crisscross some of these types. I, I don't know the research on that. Yeah, that would be um, kind of interesting because I'm I'm sure it happens. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I am sure it does. <laughs> what else has kind of changed through the years? So you mean you're you're not tired of the history lesson yet? Um, well, you know we have an audience to appease, so I'll take one for the team. <laughs> so good of you. Which just disclaimer: I actually like history. <laughs> okay. Okay. Good. Well, so a couple other things I thought about is one, you know, we are far more reliant on outside people helping with our kids, raising our kids. So outside childcare, um, oh, okay. I believe schools are being expected to do more mm -hmm. childcare. They're feeding our kids and they're taking care of them after school and they're, they're doing more of these things. That's, that's a big shift. And I think that changes dynamics a great deal. Um, another thing I thought of is like child safety laws you know, in Illinois, it's it's the Department of Child and Family Services where, you know, we, we make hotline reports if we feel like a child is endangered. That wasn't always a thing. Like okay. safety of children was not always the law. And so that has changed how we think about things too. And I don't I don't know a single parent who hasn't thought, you know, oh my gosh, I don't want somebody to call DCFS if I over discipline my child. Or right. if I, I remember being in the library once and my toddler was like running amok and I, I kind of grabbed her and, and I was like, oh my gosh. And I took her in the bathroom just to kind of calm her down and get settled. And then I thought, well, what if they thought I was taking her in there to harm her in some way? Like, who, are they going to call DCFS on me? You know? And so I think that that's a worry that the parents, you know, 50 years ago didn't think about in the same way that we do. Um, and I think that that changes the approach too. I had one of those when uh, my son was in kindergarten. He wouldn't, if <laughs> somebody needs to study me, he wouldn't brush his teeth. We all know if you listen to the podcast, that's not yeah, a, that's a I'm, problem I'm with teeth brushing. Yes, I do. So I am chasing him around the house with the toothbrush and I finally get him and I, I have to be careful how I say this because I don't want somebody to hotline me from here, but I get him on the ground and I brush his teeth. So mm -hmm. then he goes to school and I go to pick him up and the teacher comes up to me, who's a friend of mine. We were friends before she was my son's teacher. And she's like, I just have to tell you something that your son was in the, the share chair today and we asked him to share something that was happy. And he told us whatever. And he goes, and tell us something that makes you sad. And he said, well, dad slammed my head against the floor today before school. And she's like, I know 
you didn't. And so I told her my side of the story and she kind of chuckled and everything. She's like, you know, we, we kind of have a thing. And this actually stuck with me. She said, we believe about 30% of what we hear at school, as long as you extend the same courtesy. And I'm, I've always stuck with that mm-hmm. when it comes to, mm-hmm. to school things, but it's just one of those where it's like, God, I can't, what's the scare chair, share chair? What, what is it called? Why does this exist? <laughs> <laughs> and and I think we all worry about that. I remember one of our amazing daycare providers back in the day, she was telling me a funny story about one of the things kids said. And, and she's like, oh, you wouldn't believe the things I hear. And I, and I immediately was like, oh no, <laughs> what do right? you hear? What do you know? You know, and I, and I think that, so outside, you know, influences, whether it be the authorities, DCFS, or whether it be our childcare providers, our schools, the, the people who are providing more care. I mean, they're, they're having a huge influence on our kids and, mm-hmm. and also like their parenting. Like I, I can say that my kids have been at least, I don't even know what the percentage is, 40, 30%, 50% raised by other people, be it family yeah. members, daycare providers, um, school leaders and teachers. And so that's that's different. It didn't used to be that way. Another thing that um, is is different, and here's I'm going to use one of those sayings, okay? But I'm going to try to get it right. Here we go. So, <laughs> I I remember hearing the phrase "children should be seen and not heard." Mm, yes. And and I don't think that's how it is anymore. I don't think that today's parent necessarily buys into that. Mm-hmm. We are very focused on our children, and they're kind of the center of our universe a lot of the time. And so I don't I don't necessarily think that that that's true. But, you know, it must have been. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly that has changed. Um, and I go back to uh, when you were talking about child care and stuff. I was you know, a latchkey kid, right? Is that what they're called? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. you were the school bus and you sat at home till your parents got home from work and you watched TV or, you know, played outside or rode your bike all around the neighborhood or, or whatever and somewhat raised yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now we're we're we we think very differently about mm-hmm. safety in those situations, and um, and I think overall, like if I had to sum up what I think has changed, what's different now in parenting versus you know maybe before I was born, um, is there was way more focus on social and emotional development. Like most parents today, there least, is now. Yeah, there is more now. We're we're putting more energy into that. Yeah. We're figuring out, you know, what does this mean? What's behind this behavior? What should we do about this? Like we're really giving it more energy, and in general, like it feels as if we've shifted from like controlling our kids to connecting with our kids. It's, mm. It seems like, and I've seen that in therapy, it's it's less about how do I regulate this behavior and get this kid under control? It's more about how do I, you know, connect with this child? How do I have a healthy relationship with my child? And and I, even in my career, in my time doing this, I've seen that shift. It, you know, early in the early years, it was more about how do we, how do we, you know, deal with this behavior? And now it's, I want to have a good relationship with my child. What do I do to get there? Right, right. Yeah. So right. end of history lesson. That's that's all I've got. And we'll, we'll close the book on that. It, I think too, Nikki, something else has changed is, is more awareness. And mm-hmm. you have, um, for example, May, which is coming up real soon, is Mental Health Awareness Month. And that it was a beautifully done segue into our next episode, which is going to be talking about mm-hmm. Mental Health Awareness Month, why that's such an important thing to do and what it can actually do to help spread awareness. As you know, when we started this podcast, our whole goal was to start a conversation and that conversation continues with you. 